welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host on this Sunday morning. And today's journey, we're going to visit some history of Fort St. Joseph. And this is the earliest settlement in Southwest Michigan. And it has a fascinating story. So come along and join me. So I had a guest on in season one who gave us a lot of history of Fort St. Joseph. And I've also done some episodes on Niles, Michigan, as well as even St. Joseph, Michigan. But I've not done one specifically on Fort St. Joseph. And it was first established as a mission in the 1860s by French Jesuits. And it was one of the earliest European settlements in the western Great Lakes region. During the first half of the 18th century, it also took on the roles of garrison and also trading post. The uh, fort eventually supported a commandant, eight to ten enlisted men, a blacksmith, a priest, an interpreter, and up to 15 additional households. Documentary sources indicate that the fort was constructed with entrances on the north and south Palisades lines, and that the Palisade enclosed a small commandant's house, a building that could accommodate 20 soldiers, a military storehouse, and some buildings to store trade goods and furs. That was essentially the design of the fort. This would have been over in Berrien County, Michigan, as we know it today, in proximity to Niles, Michigan. And I'll go into more of the location and the archaeological find to locate Fort St. Joseph towards the end of this episode. But in 1753, the post was estimated to consist of 15 houses, though not all of these buildings were necessarily within the palisade. The fort became an important link in the chain of similar frontier settlements that staked out the far reaches of what was known as New France and facilitated the trade between the French and the native peoples in terms of furs. For almost 80 years, French priests, enlisted men, traders, all lived at Fort St. Joseph in close contact with the native groups that were also living in the area, specifically the Potawatomi and the Miami people. Wives, in some cases native wives, and children of the Frenchmen, as well as native slaves, were also present and no doubt played a major role in the commercial and social functioning of the post. Now, the information that I'm referencing today comes from Western Michigan University on their Fort St. Joseph archaeological project, and this is some of the history that they provide from their Institute for Intercultural and Anthropological Studies. And I will put the link to this article in the description of this episode if you want to read it, and there's some interesting pictures that accompany it. Now, in 1761, during the French and Indian War, the fort came under British control. While the French sought alliances with indigenous populations through practices such as gift-giving and intermarriage, the British approached native relations in a more domineering fashion and with little regards towards establishing the mutually beneficial arrangements that had been characterized by the French rule. 
And this led to the uprising known as Pontiac's Rebellion. And in the spring of 1763, supporters of the Ottawa leader attacked Fort St. Joseph and other posts in the Great Lakes region in order to force the British from the area and encourage the return of the French. The English did not re-garrison the fort after this attack until a brief occupation in 1779. However, French traders remained in the area until roughly 1780. And then in 1781, a small contingent of French and natives, supported by the Spanish governor of St. Louis, raided the fort, claiming it for Spain. And though they only remained a day on the site, they took home with them the British flag and they claimed the fort for Spain. And so after this episode, the post was largely abandoned, although trade likely still continued in the general vicinity into the 19th century after the area had become part of America's Northwest Territory. So let's go into a little bit more of this Spanish raid and what was behind it. And this story is kind of an interesting one. There were a lot of players involved, but it happened during the American Revolutionary War. And it was a raid that happened in 1780 that prompted the Spanish expedition in 1781. During the American Revolutionary War, pro-British traders used Fort St. Joseph to equip the Miami, Potawatomi, and other British allied Native Americans. And then in 1780, a patriot force from Cahokia, Illinois, led by John Baptiste Hamelin, and Lieutenant Thomas Brady raided the fort, and they plundered its content and captured several of the traitors. Detroit militia officer Antion, Antion Dagno de Quindere, an officer in the British service, led forces after the raiding party, and he overtook and defeated them near the Petite Fort. The Petite Fort was a structure located in northwest Indiana, in or near the Indiana Dunes, and it was near the mouth of Fort Creek, now known as Dunes Creek. And it may have been a French military outpost, but it was more likely more of a private residence and a trading post, and it was mostly a support station for larger forts in the area. Uh, today, the National Park Services refers to it as the Fur Depot. So after the defeat of Hamelin's party, two Milwaukee chiefs by the name of El Heterno and Nacuquin traveled to the Spanish-held St. Louis, and they arrived on the 26th of December, 1780, to report that the raid had failed. They asked for assistance to raid the fort again. And Don Francisco Cruzet, who was the commandant at St. Louis, dispatched the militia and Captain Don Eugenio Porre with 60 volunteers and native allies began their march north. And the force also included Ensign Charles Talon and the interpreter Louis Chevalier. And the Spanish and native forces traveled via the Illinois River and also the Kanaki River to modern Dunn's Bridge, Indiana. And they turned northeast and marched overland to Fort Joseph. Before the Spanish and their allies attacked the fort, they promised the Potawatomi 
half the bounty if they would remain neutral. So they made contact with the Potawatomi people and made this arrangement. So Captain Poray took Fort St. Joseph by surprise on the 12th of February, 1781, by racing across the frozen river and taking the fort before the defenders, who consisted at that point solely of a Canadian trader named Duquer and several of his employees, uh, before they could take to arms, they took the fort. So they had the Spanish colors raised and claimed Fort St. Joseph and the St. Joseph River for Spain. And his troops plundered the fort for one day, and they distributed the goods among the natives before departing. And Lieutenant Dagno de Quindare arrived the next day and was able to persuade the native allies to pursue the raiders. And the Spanish returned to St. Louis on the 6th of March without any incident. So Poré delivered the British flag to Commandant Cruzat in St. Louis. Now, some historians have described the attack as a Spanish retaliation for the attack on St. Louis the previous year. But when Cruzat wrote about it to Governor Galvez, he justified the raid as needing to appear strong to his native allies and to forestall British actions in the region. Although Cruzet treated the raid as kind of an act of Indian affairs, the looting and destruction of goods held at Fort St. Joseph also dissuaded the second British attack into Spanish territory. The British finally abandoned the fort after the United States victory at the Northwest Indian War and the signing of what became known as Jay's Treaty in 1795. The fort gradually fell into ruin and was overgrown and Based on its Fort St. Joseph expedition, Spain claimed lands east of the Mississippi River, but this was also not recognized by the United States. And there were several treaties that followed, and that eventually Spain gave up any claim to land east of the Mississippi in subsequent treaties. And because of the long dispute over the land, the diplomats, Benjamin Franklin and John Jay, considered the Spanish campaign at St. Joseph to have been little more than a ploy to claim the Northwest Territory. Franklin warned that they would shut us up within the Appalachian Mountains, and that was part of the politics of the day as he claimed that the Spanish were laying claim to that land so they could keep the United States from expanding beyond the Appalachians. So that was kind of the backstory of what happened to the fort, and it eventually fell into ruin and became overgrown, and the exact location was somewhat lost for a very long time. Pot hunters in the late 1800s recovered hundreds of artifacts from the fort site, which are now displayed in the Fort St. Joseph Museum in Niles, Michigan. And they include trade silver, musket parts, glass beads, buttons, gun flints, uh, knife blades, and even door hinges. And the specific location of the 15-acre fort was forgotten, and part of it is likely underwater since a dam downriver has since raised the water level in that area. But the site was not rediscovered until an archaeological survey in 1998. 
and a group called Support the Fort, a local interest group that was founded in 1992, helped to sponsor a major archaeological excavation on the site, which began in 2002. And with a team from Western Michigan University, they conducted a public archaeology program on the project, and this developed over the time and was made into an extensive project. And a total of 10,000 visitors have attended the two-day field school that WMU has put on, and they also have other related workshops for graduate students and volunteers, and they've even done three-week-long training programs with middle school and high school teachers on the site and on the project. The seasonal excavations that they've held have uncovered rare artifacts, such as the 1730s Jesuit religious medallion, one of the only two found in North America. And in December of 2010, the team made a critical find of a foundation wall and two wooden posts of one of the buildings, helping to establish the scale of the fort so that they could create a three-dimensional drawing of what the fort actually looked like. Now, Support the Fort has arranged related annual history exhibits and reenactments, and they featured elements of Potawatomi, French, British, and American life of the fort in the region. And in the future, they intend to construct a replica of the fort, and it will include space to interpret the artifacts found through controlled excavation. And this was the only fort in Michigan to have been under the flags of four nations. It was under the flag of the French, Great Britain, briefly under the flag of Spain, and then under the flag of the United States. And, and it always was a multicultural site. And it was a meeting place and a trading place for the ethnic Europeans and the Potawatomi, the Ottawa, the Ojibwe nations, and even the Miami people. And it was sometimes the scene of formal marriages among many of the ethnicities of the region. My guest that has been on the show before is Robert Myers, and he's written an extensive amount about the Fort Joseph historic site. But Fort St. Joseph was a pretty significant location for Southwest Michigan. It was the center of a lot of activity way back in the 1600s, starting way back then. And it was a multicultural community uh, throughout the many years that it existed as a trading post and as a uh, residence for people that were living in the area. And it was a, a gathering spot. It's kind of an interesting point in history that has long since been forgotten by a lot of folks. But if you go to Niles, Michigan, they often refer to themselves as the city of four flags. And that's because of the four flags of Fort St. Joseph that ultimately became Niles, Michigan, the community around that. And there's a monument to the former site of the fort, which is a very large boulder and it has etched into it the dates of the fort's existence from 1691 to 1781. Uh, etched on that stone and it's uh there's a bit of a historic marker there as well as a bench and all kinds of things that you can look at when you go visit that historic site but that's going to do it for today's look at this fascinating chapter in history about fort saint joseph over in niles michigan 
If you found this episode interesting or perhaps even fascinating, please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on and share this podcast with others so they can find out about it as well. And it always helps me when I get a lot more listeners. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners, and I really enjoy it when I get emails from you guys and asking me questions or even giving me new information about a subject that I've carried on this podcast. It is always fascinating to hear all the different experiences and information people have come across out there. So really enjoy hearing about that. And I did a video on the Niles Cemetery out there uh, last year, and I went to a one of those cemetery talks where they had people walking around telling us a little history about some of the people at some of the different headstones out there and telling their story. Those are always uh, great cemetery tours to visit, and I love filming those when I get a chance. And uh, Niles, of course, for me, was quite a drive to get there, and it was a tight scheduled day for me, so I wasn't able to stay for the entire event, but I stayed for about three quarters of it, and I had to get back um, over into Battle Creek for another appointment I had. But uh, there's a lot of history in Niles, Michigan, and I think I'll plan a trip there this fall and just spend a day just looking at some of the great historical sites that I've talked about on this podcast and be nice to see them firsthand, especially the Fort St. Joseph marker. There's also a cannon in one of the town squares that uh, has a lot of significance to the, I think it's the Spanish-American War. And um, there's a lot of other fascinating sites there and also taking another tour of the cemetery out there. But until next time... When we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.